Welcome guys, welcome to the Brand Identity Design Podcast and my name is Jason, I'm your host. This is my 76th episode and this is a business podcast and I'm interviewing uh, the famous Philip Van Dusen who you see next to me on on this virtual stage which we have uh, been broadcasting on LinkedIn. I'm also simulcasting uh, directly on Clubhouse and and for a change I'm also simulcasting on Twitter uh, just to see you know just to experiment things and see how it goes. So I want to thank all the listeners who are actually tuning us live at this moment of time. Shout out to Frankie whom you see uh, down in the audience. I'm going to be interviewing him on the 21st of December. Thank you for the love and support Frankie. and today today is a, a very interesting topic which we are going to be discussing about uh, we would be discussing about advertisement and the future of content marketing with philip philip uh, will speak on how social media has been changing rapidly with the explosion of short form entertainment and content on social media will start influencing the type of marketing and advertisement uh, campaigns run by companies now brands will now have to figure out a way to be informative authentic engaging motivating and most of all entertaining in all about 60 seconds or less to sell their products and services on social media now we're going to deep dive into this conversation and get philip's insight because i actually stumbled upon a content which philip posted a few weeks back and he was speaking on the same thing and i i got very fascinated with this term called advertainment it's a new word you can't really find anything on google at this moment of time so hopefully this content would be beneficial to a lot of people who are listening to this conversation either on spotify apple google or even live for a matter of fact so let me give you a heads up on who philip is so philip van dusen is the owner of verhal a uh, brand design a brand strat- brand strategy design and a marketing agency based in new jersey uh, usa and uh, and and philip helps entrepreneurs and even small to medium sized businesses build powerful and profitable businesses as a thought leader philip shares his expertise in marketing design entrepreneurship on his youtube channel and guess uh, you know guess this guys you know 255,000 subscribers currently following Philip on YouTube and he also has a top branding newsletter industry newsletter called Brand Muse Philip also hosts Brand Design Master podcast I follow it I would highly recommend you to also follow this podcast Brand Design Masters podcast I should have all the links updated once I have the show uploaded guys just in case if you're struggling with a pen or paper So he has a lot of accomplished guests, a lot of resources which can help you to bulletproof your business and your personal brand. Not only that, Philip has served as a VP of design for PepsiCo, as a VP of design at Old Navy, and he's also been an executive creative director at the iconic branding firm called Landor Associates, which I'm sure many of us has heard. Uh, past some of his past clients are Procter and Gamble, Kraft Food, Coca-Cola. Uh, Merck, PetSmart, Safeway, Chevron, Levi's, Microsoft, Campbell, Johnson and Johnson, among many, many others. So, so we have a very qualified uh, professional with us who is going to be discussing further this conversation. So, I want to welcome Philip officially to the Brand Identity Design Podcast. Drum roll.
Hey, Jason, thanks for that amazing introduction and drum roll. Appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome, Philip. Nice to have you. Let's actually deep dive into this conversation. Now, before I usually get into the business side of things or the topic, I want to understand the person. I want to understand. I want our audience to also understand, get a gist of who you are and <clears throat> and, and how has things been, you know, what has influenced you to become the person you have become. So could you take us back through time, maybe tell us a bit about your childhood? How did you discover your love for design? And you have worked in a lot of big, gigantic corporations. So I wanted to also hear what were some of your biggest learning from these roles? Sure. Well, thanks, Jason, for having me. I really appreciate it. And welcome everyone who's listening on all the multitude of platforms we're simulcasting on, which is really amazing. Um, good job for Jason on that technology. Um, I don't want to go too far back, but I mean, I I was always a creative kid. I was always painting, drawing. Um, I've always played music. So playing guitar, singing, I considered myself to... Um, be a multi-creative. I actually acted also a lot in my youth. And so creativity has always been part of my DNA from the very beginning. And I think that's really been the thread that has been the consistent thread through my entire career, my love of creativity, my love of design, um, aesthetics, and the, you know, the emotions that those things, uh, you know, kind of bring up in you as, as a creator and also as, you know, a viewer or someone who's experiencing that sort of creativity. And so, you know, came, came up as a creative kid. And then I actually studied painting in school. I have my master's degree in painting. Um, and I did that in order to teach. I taught for a short period of time at university level, um, teaching, um, painting and drawing. And then that career kind of puttered out. It was very, very difficult to find um, a role at that time that I was that I was doing that. And I uh, started my own T-shirt company, um, and that led me into the apparel industry, where I came up through a number of different companies, uh, kind of culminating as a VP of Old Navy, as you mentioned. And then I moved over to the agency side and did a lot of branding and brand strategy. Um, a lot of CPG companies, um, entertainment companies, huge range of um, industries and categories. And then uh, jump back over the client side with PepsiCo for a period of time. And then I kind of met a wall where I decided I had kind of done the Fortune 100 and uh, decided to go off on my own. So about six years ago, I started my own consultancy. And that's when I really dove into, into content marketing. So that um, and you know that's also when content marketing really really started to pick up stream so pick up steam so that was you know an advantageous I think um, uh, alignment of in time. You did mention you know what have I what have I learned from my corporate roles um, and I think one of the things that I've learned is that creativity is really translatable meaning that. You can have creativity that's art. You can have creativity that's design. Uh, there's amazing amounts of creativity and innovation and product design and technology um, in writing, you know, in what we wear and apparel and all of those things, you know, the creativity runs through all of those things and also can be uh, translated to so many different um, 
levels and so many different areas of interest. And for me, that was important because my career has definitely not been linear. As I mentioned, you know, I started in education, I went into the fashion industry, then I went over to the agency side, then I went into CPG companies. And it was not I didn't map it out that way. I took advantage of opportunities that came my way as I went through my career and they taught me and led me into new and different places. And I think that that's one of the biggest learnings I have about careers in general and my corporate roles is that careers are not necessarily always linear and you really just have to have your eyes open and be ready for uh, opportunities when they present themselves. And I guess the other real big learning for me as a creative was what really unlocked my career was moving from a T-shaped skill set to a V-shaped skill set. And what I mean by that is a T-shaped skill set is being great in design or being great in one thing and very, very shallow in just about everything else. And so when I moved into management, I had to start learning how to, you know, manage massive budgets and do, you know, human resources sorts of things, you know, kind of performance reviews and hirings and firings and um, all the emotional intelligence and communication skills that you have to learn as a manager. And so that's what really unlocked my career is when I went from being a solo creator, a designer into being more of a you know, kind of a fully uh, equipped uh, creative professional. And so that's, um, and then a final learning I'll just, I'll, and then I'll stop talking is uh, that networking really is everything and that people move around. And if there's one thing that I wish I knew earlier in my career is that no one stays in their job forever. And the more you network with people in your discipline, outside of your discipline, and then stay in touch with them, um, that's what's going to get you your next job. And you're not going to get it through applying online <laughs> with a resume. Absolutely. These are some solid learnings, Philip, uh, which you have acquired working at these corporate roles. So keep networking because as you correctly said, and I totally agree with you because people don't stay in the same position or have the same jobs for a really long time. They can switch. So having a group of network of people whom you can, uh, you know, seek out, explore, learn from. It's always nice. I like what you said about uh, creativity is translatable, right? I, I think that's what you said, right? Translatable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's super cool. And uh, and the T-shaped skill set. So pretty amazing, Philip. You know, I, I love what you shared. And let's actually, you know, deep dive into this conversation further because I see 21 people listening to us live on LinkedIn. I have another three uh, to four individuals on Clubhouse. Unfortunately, we don't have anybody on Twitter yet because it's fairly new. But let's actually give people what they want. So could you tell us what is this buzzword called advertainment and why it is different from traditional advertising or marketing? Sure. Uh, well, the the short form video, which you saw, which I had published on LinkedIn, where I mentioned the word advertainment, I was I was talking about this very topic. And to a certain extent, I thought, or I believe I've coined the term. I mean, I did a Google search on it to see if anyone else was using it. And like you, I came up with very little. But so I, I kind of coined that for my short form video. And what I meant by advertainment is that short form content, 
video, audio has been taking over social media in a lot of different ways. And a lot of different social platforms have been radically changing their formats uh, to accommodate short form content, even to the extent Instagram for a period of time was were taking people's um, visual photography content and turning them into reels and publishing them as reels. And this was to, to the surprise, to the great surprise of people who were posting static visual content, they were suddenly forced into, you know, doing, um, doing reels. And so this has all been brought about by TikTok, obviously, right? So TikTok massively exploded, has a billion users around the world, and is gathering a lot of a lot of attention. And so Instagram is chasing that. YouTube is chasing that with YouTube shorts. And uh, short form video is one of those things that just can't be ignored. And so, but what I was talking about in my short, what an advertainment was that what that's done, that, that introduction of short form video on social media. Now, this is a very important kind of point is that we've had traditional advertising in terms of, you know, one minute spots on radio and one minute commercials and 30 minute commercials on television and broadcast media. And that's been, you know, going on for 100 years or how long it, TV and radio has been around. And so we've always advertised that way. But what the really different aspect of this is, is that brands are now having to confront or face the idea of marketing on social media, which is not a broadcast media. It is a, it's a sharing economy. And so this is, I, I like to call it more, this uh, call it social commerce, which is it's business, but it's happening on a social platform. And so this changes a whole lot of things in the landscape, right? Number one, short form video has ch massively changed uh, the format of or the attention span of viewers. And so everyone's, you know, attention spans are getting shorter. People are flipping, you know, with their thumbs every 15 seconds and they want to be entertained. This stream of entertainment media is uh, is so fast and so constant that it's changed the expectations of social media consumers to move towards being entertained. And the challenge that this brings to the table for businesses is that people can smell a sales pitch a mile away. If anything, the internet has done for us is it's made us all really, really um, sales pitch conscious and and um, being the advertising product um, essentially. And all, but all brands need to advertise. So brands have moved into the content creation sphere. They're creating content. There's learning how to tell stories, but with the introduction of short form, there are some new challenges. They're having to be entertaining. They're having to incorporate their brand message in an authentic and non-salesy kind of way. And so that has brought on the explosion of influencer marketing because brands are nesting their, their brand 
within the authenticity of someone else, within the authenticity of an influencer. And that is one of the easiest ways for brands to get into the social commerce market is to make deals and sponsorships with influencers so those influencers can promote their products for them and leverage the credibility and the the brand love that their audiences have for them so that can influence the brand's reputation in a really positive way and so the i i like to call I, I like to say you have to, it, I kind of came up with an, an acronym yesterday, acronym <laughs> yesterday, which is called C, S-E-E, which means you have to storytell, you have to entertain, and then you also have to engage because social is, <coughs> excuse me, social is social, meaning that this isn't one-way broadcast advertising. This is an engaging, interactive, two-way conversations. So brands are no longer just like throwing out a 60-minute Super Bowl ad. Um, they are having to actually listen to and engage with the people who are consuming their brand message. And I think that that's another one of those big paradigm shifts that's happening um, as as social commerce is becoming more mature could you could you help me with that acronym again philip you said s-e-e s-e-e's storytelling entertainment and engagement mm. awesome awesome i i love what you shared and i i like the fact that how brand should pivot to that direction because yes uh, nowadays we are so accustomed to sales pitches and we kind of know where things are heading so even when people are trying to uh, you know even send you a dm let's say on linkedin or any other platform you directly know that they are trying to pitch something to you so we have this wall i call it as uh, like a uh, i mean like like a wall and you don't want to engage with such individuals you know who does not bring any value or you know they just want to sell something to you without trying to get to know you so i think it makes a lot of sense now with influencer marketing with uh, what you just highlighted that very many brands pivoted to influential influencer marketing uh, because they wanted to personalize things they wanted to make it seem more organic but i think that also pushed uh, you know that i don't think that really worked out right because many influencers were willing to just say anything about a brand as long as they were getting paid and i think that's what is making it ineffective am i right I would disagree. I think that influencer marketing there there is bad influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, there are obvious pitches or um or brand influencer alignment that is essentially not aligned, meaning there are influencers who are hawking products or endorsing things that aren't in line with their own personal brand story or don't seem aligned with their lifestyle and those sorts of things i think stand out to us very strongly as as feeling like friction they don't feel right and they make us feel like we're being you know sold or or um kind of manipulated and so where influencer marketing really shines is where when you have an influencer who is actually using the product or has actually in their life used this product for a period of time before ever developing that relationship and so they can genuinely represent 
their brand affinity for the brand to their audience, which they've built. But when we don't have that kind of true uh, influencer brand alignment, that's when it feels bad, right? It feels yucky. Um, but I think that the explosion and the amount of money, advertising money that brands are putting behind and into influencer marketing now, I mean, I've heard something like it's a third of advertising spent with some companies, which is a massive, massive shift. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something that we have to pay attention to. Um, but that's only kind of one half of it, right? One half is how you get other people to represent your brand for you. And then the other half is that how do we as brands develop content for ourselves, which is authentic and doesn't feel salesy and tells a, has a level of story and entertainment and engagement, et cetera. So there's kind of two pieces of, um, of advertainment or social commerce that have to be built. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you educating me and giving me that perspective too, Philip. Let's actually go a bit further uh, about advertainment. Could you, you know, who is advertainment really for and what kind of audience and what kind of industry do you think this would apply to? I think that just like advertising, um, social media content is industry agnostic, just about every single industry. Um, I, I think B2C, so B2C is going to be easier than B2B, but it doesn't mean that B2B can't use it as well. But I don't think that there's a particular industry or a particular um, audience that any piece of content is specifically, well, there are pieces of content which are designed to be completely relevant to a particular market, right? So short form um, content on the whole trends younger in terms of its audience. That's pushed you know, very heavily by TikTok, but in general, short form video and short form audio, they have done some studies and they've come up with the fact that the people who consume that sort of content are on the younger age spectrum. And so brands have to figure out how to target effectively. Number one, brands always have to figure out, number one, what platform they're going to be on, what platform is their audience or their customer target on, and what platform is appropriate for their brand, their message, <clears throat> and what they're bringing to market. The There's kind of two things that are influencing, excuse me, <coughs> two things that are influencing what people are seeing. One is their own behavior. So you know that the algorithms read dwell time. They read what videos we watch, what videos we flip scroll through. And so the algorithms are learning our behaviors and they will affect what we end up seeing. And brands can't control that. But they can control what platform they're on and they can control what kind of content they're they're putting out there. One of the real benefits of this short of short form content and advertainment in particular is that it's easier to produce, meaning that it's it's a shorter time commitment. Um, it doesn't take as much time to develop or edit or put out a piece of short form content. It's easier to test ideas. It's easier to iterate and learn. Um, one of the other really important things for it is, you know, when tw- when people started doing. Um, advertising on Twitter, the lifespan of a tweet, meaning it uh, uh, is like 15 minutes. So a tweet after 15 minutes has about a five 
percent chance of ever being seen by anybody. It's a very immediate platform. And short form video um, and advertisement is also a very um, immediate sort of uh, media, meaning that short form people flip through it, they see it very quickly and they and they move on. It's snackable, what I like to call snackable content. And that's a good that's a good news for brands in one way because they people are going to see your short form content they're going to get a brand impression right and then they're going to move on and so it's great because a brand has to get anywhere from 6 to 8 impressions before a customer will ever even consider buying from you. So it gives you a chance to have a higher and quicker number of impressions, brand impressions, so people can get to know and who your brand is. But then it's also it also means that you're not dwelling in front of this audience for such a long period of time that that piece of content carries a tremendous amount of weight. And so to a certain extent, the lightweightness of short form content is an advantage to brands because they can dip in and out of it very quickly and they don't have to feel that they are, um, they're having to invest too much in one particular piece of media. They can just do little snippets. Okay, that makes perfect sense, Philip. That that really makes uh, perfect sense. So, so it's not really restricted. I think anybody, any businesses can really make an attempt uh, to go with advertisement. You know, create something engaging, which is snackable. Okay, a snackable, consumable mm -hmm. type of content. Easier, uh, you know, easier to produce. Okay, easier to test. Okay, now imagine many brands would have like you know higher budgets and it, do you think if they were to produce something which is short form but you know budget you know big production budgets and if they make it like the quality of it really cool okay do you think it would be ineffective in in comparison to regular advertisement you know you know let's say something which you would create for a matter of fact you know what do you think yeah i think that the higher the budget the more people will realize that they're being sold to. And that's that's the, the, the more polished it is, the more people are suspect of it. And this is something that content producers have known for a long time, which is that people love to see how things, uh, the truth. They wanna see the man behind the curtain. Yes. They wanna see what is going on, what does your space actually look like? They don't wanna see the polished laptop lifestyle content producer. They wanna see a real life of someone that they can identify with. Maybe someone who's you know just a step or two above them in terms of the development of their career or the development of their, um, their knowledge. And so they can aspire to, but not, but not be so intimidated by that person that they can't feel like it's attainable. And one of that's also that also goes with brands. So as soon as a brand's piece of content is very polished and very highly produced, people realize that that their brain says, "I'm watching an ad." And so when brands are really authentic and raw and show what's behind the scenes, and that goes for influencers as well, that's where you start to really be able to break through, and that's where you start to be able to build a level of trust with the people who are watching and consuming what it is that you're putting out. And that level of trust 
it, there's there's a kind of double-edged sword for this. The bigger the company, the more, and I worked for, you know, and in and for <laughs> some of the biggest companies in yes. the world, the bigger the company, the more matrixed and cumbersome it is to do anything, right? Yeah. The decision-making process is way too long. Right. Mm-hmm. And they are very uncomfortable in putting out anything that isn't completely polished. So this is actually one of those places where small to medium-sized businesses can really have an advantage over large corporations is in short form content because they can be more authentic because they don't have to jump through so many hoops and have, you know, such a long approval chain for a piece of content before it hits um, the media. And we understand why that is, right? I mean, big brands have a hell of a lot to lose, right? You can sink the reputation of a brand with a single piece of content. And so they justifiably freak out whenever there's the idea of an intern developing a tweet who's going to put it out into the world without it getting approved by a couple C-suite level people. But that's where smaller companies can really shine is that they don't have to go through that sort of thing and they can be authentic and they can show behind the scenes and they can develop a deeper relationship quicker with their with their customer target and there are companies that have done this fairly well i mean wendy's comes to mind wendy's has an amazing twitter channel and they you know they're very sizable company, but they have given their social media writers on Twitter a lot of leeway um, to develop a brand personality, which in case of Wendy's is very snarky and very funny. And But I commend those uh, C-suite level folks at Wendy's because they have given a really long leash to their um, social media people and it has done amazing things for them. But that's also not without risk. But, you know, like in anything in business, you have to risk in order to gain. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm in agreement with you 100%. Okay. I, I also want to actually, guys, you know, if you are actually enjoying the conversation, which I'm having with Philip and, and the questions, which I'm asking, if you, if you're, if you, if you may, and if you can, I would highly encourage you to share this space uh, with a few of your friends, not a lot, you know, just a few close ones whom you think would benefit from this conversation. That would really mean a lot to me. Okay. Uh, Even if you're on LinkedIn, Clubhouse or Twitter. So I want to actually move on to the next question, which I have about advertainment is how would you measure uh, the return on investment? Okay. Maybe the investment is not too high, but you know, as as a small business owner or business owners, how can we measure this? What methods do you think would apply? Sure. I, I think that the standard methods, methods for content marketing apply for ROI, which is view time, you know, um, dwell time on video, watch time, number of subscribers, um, number of comments, number of shares, all those quantifiable metrics, which are you know, very palatable to marketing executives in terms of ROI. The other thing that, you know, the thing that's harder to, harder to really judge is, um, is brand affinity and the, the sort of, um, affinity that you're building with your viewers over time. And that's the harder thing, you know, that's always been difficult in social media to, in order to quantify in terms of ROI. Um, 
but the, I, I'd like to talk about, I mean, the people who are going to win in doing this, the people who are going to win in this sort of space are number one, brands who use it. So that's the, if it's, you're a larger brand, if you can get over yourself and give some slack to your social media people and not have them have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to actually put content out, brands who actually do that are going to have a better chance of winning. Brands that, you know, utilize influencers, as I said before, and make sure that they're being really, really conscious about who they are partnering up with and making sure that that, pair, that pairing of the brand to the influencer is a really good and natural fit. Um, I also think that brands that are uh, have the ability to adapt to trends and leverage trends are also going to win. That's another advantage of short form content is that you can you can move, adapt, um, work on a very short, you know, kind of news cycle, so to speak, um, and react to cultural changes and cultural news very quickly. Um, I think also that that brands that foster true engagement, so who don't make it a one-way conversation, who actually have back and forth and listen to the feedback of their viewers. <clears throat> I think that those are the brands that are going to be able to really infiltrate the subcultures and the communities that make up social media. And so brands that are able to do that, that are able to kind of make friends with and become a natural fit with those social media subcultures and and micro communities that form are also is also one of those uh, capabilities that are really going to give brands um, a leg up. And I think also brands that have historically struggled with long form content and figuring out how to tell a, a long story about a brand in an authentic way those brands are also going to benefit from the shorter form content because they you it's a really easy to tell a very quick story and just get the hell out of dodge right um it's a very quick hit and then finally i think that brands that are able to be authentic and really tell a story that is transparent and true and doesn't come off like you're shilling something are going to be the ones that that win. And here's some of the challenges. I mean, I think some of the challenges that people have are that, <clears throat> I mean, 55% of TikTok's 1 billion users uploaded content in the last month. Half wow. of, of TikTok's 1 billion users uploaded their own content. So there's a tremendous dearth of short form content out there. And so, and the impression time that brands have in that stream of met that massive stream of content is really quick, right? So your impression time to make an impact and stop the thumb scroll is also getting tougher. So if you can do that and, you know, make an impact very quickly to get that brand impression and to stop the thumb scroll for a second and <laughs> you're going to win. But that is one of those challenges that brands are really facing right now. I mean, there is a massive level of content overload. I'm sure that every single person, you know, give me a thumbs up with your reaction symbol and the listeners. I mean, if you feel that you're experiencing content overload, because will people even remember you? 
you know, uh, and that's the good and the bad, right? If you screw up and you do something really horrible, it, people aren't going to remember it very long because the news cycle changes over. But they're also not going to remember the good brand impressions very long. So that's why volume will always win in this case. <coughs> um, and so that's why brands have to figure out how to address certain demographics, how to address those micro subcultures and, and really pay attention to their viewers' habits and feed the sort of content that's going to result in the algorithm smiling on them, essentially, because people are able to, through their viewing habits, curate their own feeds. So you have to figure out how you're going to fit into and feed into that algorithm that algorithm. And those are just, those are just some of the challenges that I think their brands are going to be facing in this new kind of um, social commerce world. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense to me. I want to actually let the audience know that, you know, this is a live podcast. This conversation is being recorded and you are welcome to actually raise your hand, come up on stage and you're invited to actually ask questions directly to Philip and clarify uh, about content marketing, the future of content marketing, advertisement in general, anything of that nature. I have two more questions, but I have invited a few people on Clubhouse to join the stage, even on Twitter. Uh, on LinkedIn, unfortunately, it does not give me the feature to send invites. You have to raise your hand uh, to participate. So if you're interested, uh, please raise your hand. I would be more than happy to bring you up so that we can clarify some of your doubts. So my next question is, in order for a, a business owner or a business to actually get into uh, advertainment or creating content for advertainment, what would be some key requirements, according to you, primary requirements they need? Well, I kind of mentioned it in the last, um, last question, which is that they, I think that it's important that they get a social media team. Um, even if you're a small company, um, and I'm saying small, like under a hundred million or under 50 million, having a team which is adept at social media, um, that has the ability to create content and that you can build you as a manager of those people can have a higher enough level of trust in to trust their judgment to make decisions around what they're posting. Um, that's one of the things that companies require because social media moves so quickly and the, the trends change so quickly, the news cycles change so quickly that you have to be able to develop content and, and, uh, and pull the trigger without going through 15 levels of approvals over a week and a half. Um, those are the companies that are going to have to win are going to be winning. So setting up a, a, at least a little bit of infrastructure for social media content um, is going to be important because you have to move quickly and you have to have a level of trust and hire the best people that you can um, to, to develop that sort of content. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you resharing that once again, as to key requirements are. Uh, what I'd like to ask you, uh, Philip, is that do you think advertainment would only apply to short form video content? Or do you think there is a practical way how we may be able to uh, get this idea across other kind of marketing, which you do? 
Yeah. Could you rephrase that question? I'm not sure I completely understand what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm trying to ask is, okay, advertainment, you said it's about, you know, creating something interesting and exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, you know, people can consume it. They would be interested in sharing it. You know, they feel very emotionally connected to it, stuff like that. So will it apply on, let's say, if somebody was where to do email marketing, can we apply the same methodology on email marketing? Or if we were to do print media, can we do, can we apply the same logic on that? You know, if it's not video, is there something which we can integrate on other kind of marketing as well. So to make it like more cohesive and to make it more unified. Yeah, I think that I think how you approach a particular marketing platform has to be platform specific. And I think that that's what's so interesting about this social commerce space and short form content in particular is that it is comparatively a new platform and a new media um, um, and a new media essentially format because I think that email marketing has its own specific needs and its own specific cadence I think that um, just as you know television broadcast advertising has a certain level of expectation of production value or radio has a certain level in order to break through when you're only working in audio every platform i think has its own requirements and so i i'm not i wouldn't say that the specific needs of short form media advertainment are really as applicable to other platforms so i'm i the answer the short answer is no i yeah. don't think that I, so many of these aspects of it really translate and that's what makes it so interesting and such a challenge and opportunity for brands to figure out because it is so new and because it is has its own requirements. Oh, absolutely, Philip. You know, I, I'm agreement. I'm in agreement with you 100%. Yes, every platform would be different. It has its own key requirement, and you would you would want to tailor make content you know specific to those requirements to, to you know for its effectiveness so i appreciate you clarifying it i had this question uh, because i was under the impression let's say you make a brochure you know can we make it interesting and unique and it doesn't have to always list all your products and services can we create something unique out of it uh, you know kind of advertisement but you know yeah i hope that makes sense you know that's why that's where the question was inspired from Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. So we are actually uh, around 40 minutes uh, down to this interview. So I appreciate all the 28 listeners who are listening us on LinkedIn. I have a few li listeners on Clubhouse and one listener who finally decided to join on Twitter. So guys, you know, if you're interested in, in, in you know, raising your hand and coming up and ask questions to Philip, feel free to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and ask a few more questions and we're going to go ahead with the interview. Uh, if nobody shows up, we will start with rapid fire and we will wrap things up. So Philip, so my extended question to you is that who has been your biggest influence in your life? Uh, my dad, you know, my dad was a newspaper man and, um, and later in life he was an English teacher. He was always a maverick, a, a, a muckraker making trouble for the politicians in the world. And, <laughs> and, um, and he, he, he took no prisoners. 
and he had a level of curiosity and passion. He was an excellent writer. He loved people um, and he loved publishing. And so, the, and he loved teaching. And my life has been very much about leading and teaching. And so in many ways, I've kind of patterned my, my, um, my life and professional career after his in a slightly in a slightly different way so i'd say definitely my dad that is so amazing to hear philip i appreciate you sharing uh, you know about your dad and the thing which he did and he's been such an inspiration that is really powerful thank you so much for that i have joseph who has actually joined the stage on linkedin so welcome joseph uh, to the brand identity design podcast uh, do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation uh, joseph you have to unmute All right, so you know we can't actually hear from Joseph, so maybe we can give him a few seconds. And while we are actually waiting, I see Christine who decided to join the conversation. Uh, Christine, please flash your mic if you're available. Lovely, lovely. Do you have a question? Uh, would you like to contribute to this conversation? Yeah, we're not able to hear you, Christine. Hello. Yeah. Lovely. Can you hear me? Yes, fantastic. Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, we can. Sorry, I was trying to find a place to type. Okay, hi. Um, I am a small business owner, and I'm very excited to get to um, speak with the both of you. But my question is, um, being a small business owner, and when I say small, extremely small, and that's what I have intended to be, Um I've actually had to, um, unfortunately, scale back due to um, an uh, unfortunate incident, uh, an attack that I, um, uh, you know, was a victim of. I'm not able to work as much as I would like. I'm supposed to not be working or doing certain things. So um, I'm also the type of person that cannot sit and do nothing. So. Um, but I want to be as an ef efficient um, and as, uh, you know, obviously profitable as I can be at what I am able to do. I still have all, obviously, my uh, faculties and, and um, abilities that I work so hard to gain um, during my 25-year career in my space. And um, one of the things that and, – and I have taken some uh, classes of his – of yours and whatnot that, um, you know, taught how to optimize LinkedIn and uh, to get more followers. And it, of course, my aim is to get more loyal followers, to get, you know, somewhat similar to what my goals are in friendships. I don't have a zillion friends, but the friends that I have are good friends. So I aim to have the same in clients and customers. Uh, so what I would like to do is you said when it comes to social media and this entertainment type of uh, advertising, which I love, that is right up my alley. I'm looking to vlog and YouTube and all of that. I do not have a team. Uh, my team is whatever uh, – you know, 
whatever new CRM or, you know, type of helpful, um, thing might have a free 30 day option for me to take advantage of. That's my team. (laughs) So it's basically me, social media, the website that I'm trying to, um, you know, right now revamp, um, to, uh, you know, show that I've pivoted into this new endeavor, a lot of it being, um, you, you know, working, um, via internet more so than face to face. What advice might you have for someone like me that is not looking to become a multimillionaire, but looking to become a niche boutique, but very successful um, in that I offer excellent uh, customized customer service to a very, um, I don't want to say very luxe, but uh, more of a high-end, high-detailed customer service-based business? That's a really good question, Christine. And um, I'm sorry for the event that you're you're experiencing. And um, Oh, thank you. But the, the thing I would say about small business, and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, startups, small businesses now. That's really my focus in my own consultancy. And I, I counsel people a lot on how they should approach social media. The one piece of real advice I have for any small business is don't, number one, don't try to be too many places at once because it confuses your audience. They don't know where to find you. And it also splits your time and your energy across a range of platforms. So try to be as choiceful as you can about the platform, the single platform that you choose to dive into and go deep into it for six months to a year. And choosing that platform should be informed by your target avatar, your customer avatar. And I see that you're in the uh, kind of bespoke events um, sort of space. And so that's, that space is there's a lot of people on Instagram in that space. There are a number of people who are lifestyle people on YouTube who are in that space. But in terms of being, you know, a single person, all it takes from a business person standpoint is you and a phone, like you and a high quality phone, because you can start recording blog like, um, real behind the scenes kind of short form content that will help people understand what it is that you do, who you are as a person in a very authentic way for you to tell your story, for you to show a little bit about behind the scenes of how these things come together. And then also for the result, right? So you put on these wonderful bespoke events and they are just begging to be videotaped or photographed. And so I would suggest that it would be I would probably lean towards Instagram because it has video capability now and you're not going to be doing super, you know, well-produced videos anyway, because you don't have a team to do that. So I would focus on kind of short form, informative, behind the scenes, sort of every aspect of your business sort of content. And the other thing I would just recommend is that if you have, you know, a range of past customers, ask them, 
you know, send them a direct message or an, you know, an email or, a, you know, a phone call for gosh sakes and just say, Hey, you know, what kind of social media are you on? What do you look at day to day? Are you looking at LinkedIn? You're looking at Instagram and just ask, you know, six or a dozen of your customers where they are actually consuming their social media and use that <clears throat> to inform your choice of a platform. The other thing to do is, and this is one of the things I counsel all my clients to do, is to really understand who your competition is in your space. So if you know who your competitors are in your space, dig into what they're doing um, because where they are showing up is where some of your customers are and you want to start stealing those eyeballs from them. And there's no shame in looking at the best practices of your competition and mirroring them if you're just starting to get started up and trying to figure out what sort of thing that you should be doing. Hope that helps. It does. It helps a ton. Thank you so much. Um, I'll have to email your people and see if uh, maybe I can afford some of your services and learn more. I appreciate you. Sure, just DM me here. My people is me, by the way. Oh, well, fantastic! <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I have a I have a team that helps me put my content out, but for the most part, my my um, consultancy is myself and whoever I pull in for various projects. Perfect. I'm familiar with that. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, thank you. I just wanted to say, Christine, I apologize in in between while while Philip was actually answering, I muted you by mistake. Uh, I won't, I was just trying to avoid if there was any backfeed while we do the recording. I apologize for that. I didn't mean to cut you short, but I just want to make sure that, you know, Philip has answered all your questions. Do you have a follow-up question before we move on? No, I believe he actually answered everything. The only thing being was um, just as far as competition goes, that is something that I'm currently working on because my competition has changed uh, since I have pivoted and I have added products since I am virtual uh, primarily now. Uh, but that's, again, something that, you know, you're getting down to the nitty gritty of my business and no one wants to hear about that. So I will hopefully touch base with him maybe about that or someone else in that space of consultancy. So thank you so much. Thanks, Christine. Thank Do you. get in touch. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Thank absolutely. Please stay in touch, uh, Christine. And please be on stage because the rapid fire question round does involve uh, the audience can also participate in it. So please continue to be on stage. I just want to uh, just check if Joseph is available. Joseph, please unmute your mic if you're available. Okay, since I'm not actually getting a response from Joseph, we're going to move him to the listening lounge. And guys, anybody else who is interested in joining the conversation, uh, please feel free to raise your hand up and I would be happy to bring you up. So let's continue, Philip. I, I just have a few other questions which I wanted to ask you before we start rapid fire. Could you, everyone, you know, kind of wants to leave a legacy, right? You know, we want something, you know, to be remembered for. What is that one thing you want to be remembered for? Uh, Philip, are you there? I, I think you might be on mute. Sorry, I clicked it, but it obviously it didn't take. <laughs> um, I think that I want to. I, I, 
I want to be known for helping other creative professionals succeed in their careers. So I love helping people brand themselves and tell their stories and build businesses that fulfill their passion and their their needs um, and sharing everything that I've known and learned in my career with them so they can do that. So I think that if I had a legacy, it would be that I helped a hundred thousand people have have better careers and lives. Love this so much, Philip. You know, and you are already educating a lot of people because I I would highly encourage you to uh, look for Philip on on Instagram and even on other platforms. He he produces tons and tons of content which he freely shares with people and it's you know there are carousels there are you know through this podcast a lot of other things which he does you know even i don't think he's interviewing right now philip as per our last discussion but you're producing solo shows but there's tons and tons of content which you guys can consume and take advantage of I wanted to, uh, you know, say hi to Thomas. Thomas is actually, you know, Thomas is one of our frequent contributors and and speaker on my show. Uh, so he's all the way from Australia. And he actually stays back. Uh, you know, I don't think he sleeps. Also, it's <laughs> just on Wednesday just to be a part of my show. But you know, I know it's very early, four four thirty AEST. Thank you, Thomas. Please flash your mic if you're available. I'm I'm available. Yeah, <laughs> and I do sleep. <laughs> oh, good. I, I do, I do sleep, Jason. Uh, <laughs> even though I appear, you know, in the cyberspace in the middle of the night. But uh, luckily for me, it's summer here, down under, and it's uh, four fifty nine a.m. and the sun rises in eighteen minutes. Well, first light in eighteen minutes. So I don't have long to wait, but. Um, Busy day today, and uh, I apologize for um, dialing in late. But uh, look, yeah, really interested in uh, what Philip does. Um, I um, I'm a ex vendor relationship manager, so I know that sounds generic, but basically, it manages IT outsource companies. Um, kind of in Australia and, and around the world, particularly in India and in the Philippines where IT companies save money uh, by outsourcing, you know, um, managed services. Uh, obviously, the labor is cheaper in India and the Philippines. Um, but I have kind of retired, but I've still got that title up because I haven't yet recreated myself. But um, hopefully when I uh, finish doing all my other activities that I've been doing since I kind of retired, including uh, listening to Jason and all his uh, lovely guests, I'll uh, hopefully recreate my persona. Um, and yeah be very interested in connecting with Philip. My middle name is Philip, so we must be already connected. But uh, thank you for uh, your contribution. Thanks, Thomas. I appreciate it. Lovely, lovely. So I wanted to welcome uh, Moda. Maud. I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, sir. Please flash your mic if you're available. 
How do you pronounce your name again? It's Muad. Muad. That's a lovely name, yes, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Man. So, Muad, welcome to the Brand Identity Design Podcast. And uh, we are having this conversation with Philip. Do you have a question? Uh, or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Yes, please. Yo. So, I was um, following what uh, Philip just said. And I was, uh, let's say, uh, I'm a big fan of Philip. <laughs> to be honest, when I first started my career, he was, uh, I watched the first video that inspired me a lot when he's talking about uh, design trends. I'm a visual artist and 3D artist for now. So Philip was my very first person who inspired me to start this. So to be honest, I, I'm a big fan. I want to thank him for uh, for such inspiration for me. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, I don't see like his... Uh, mm, uh, uh, pushing new content uh, to like uh, designers as me because as uh, as i said he he, he was uh, uh, publishing a couple of videos where he spoke about uh, trends and design uh, he 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 did like each year each design trends i think 21 20 2020 and 2021 i think i don't think he did for 2022 or 2023 i'm just double checking if there is any like upcoming uh, videos as uh, as that. Muad, I did do 2022. And so, <laughs> yes. And I will. Yeah, I missed if, it. <laughs> if you DM me, I will send you the link. And I am actually working on 2023 right now. So 2023 should be out within just a couple of weeks. Yeah, I will be just waiting for that. So that's the, uh, this was like a, a, an opportunity for me to speak directly to you. And thank you. Because again, uh, uh, I really appreciate what you did. You don't, you don't get it, but if you check my Instagram, you will, you will see what I'm, I'm at right now. I collabed with Adobe. I did like a huge uh, things for me, uh, uh, and let's say you were there in the very beginning of me. So I really appreciate you. Um, well, thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. And in in social media, you would be surprised how sometimes little feedback you can get. So whenever I get feedback from people directly um, and sharing how I've helped them, that really means a lot to me. So I appreciate it. Lovely, yeah, thank, lovely. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, your fans are showing up, Philip. I wanted to actually give you a shout out to Philip because the first time I actually heard about you was on Ian's podcast, if you remember, uh, Logo Geek. Uh, you spoke about, you know, can a logo cost around $250,000? <laughs> do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. It was such a lovely episode. And uh, and, and I was fairly new to the whole design space. And, and I found it very, very fascinating. That's how I came to know about you. And I started following you. So I appreciate that. I have uh, Peter Peter on stage. So, you know, Peter, welcome to the Brand Identity Design Podcast. Do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Well, can you guys hear me? Lovely. Yes, yes, we can. Yeah, I just I just wanted to um, just to uh, say hi to Philip for, for one thing. And uh, say he uh, I've known Philip for several years now and he started out as a mentor and has since become a a friend and this conversation that you're having is 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 wonderful and I love the uh, the C acronym the storytelling entertaining and engaging acronym I'm gonna definitely use that and my comment is that one thing I've learned from Philip and he's been 
instrumental in helping me pivot from a, a career that ended because of COVID into a successful freelance career is that, um, you know, we there's a lot of things that you hear about techniques in in successful entrepreneurship or business. And one thing I've learned from Philip, which is perhaps the most important, is that if we go at this business of being creative professionals with the the priorities of not looking at customers as just customers, but by building relationships, solving problems, and just being kind, uh, success is uh, is not that hard. So, Philip, thank you for everything you've done, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate that. And Peter, I know quite well. Um, he's been one of my most uh, dedicated viewers and listeners over the years. And he was also a member of my Brand Design Masters Guild Mastermind Group. Um, Peter's an incredibly talented um, product photographer up in Maine. And uh, if you have any product photographer needs, photography needs and are listening to this, you should definitely check out Peter's portfolio. One of the benefits of being a Brand Design Masters Guild member is that you get promotions from me on my podcast <laughs> and any lives that I do. So, but, but Peter's a super talented guy and I appreciate your kind words. Thanks. Lovely. You know, Peter, nice to uh, have you on the stage, the virtual stage we have. Uh, thank you so much for supporting Philip and, and being a part of this show. You know, please, you're welcome to be on stage because we're going to start with the rapid fire question. So I have one common question, which I'm going to ask everyone on stage. Okay. And rest of the questions go to Philip. So Philip, you know, let's get to know you a little further. Okay. What is one of the biggest opportunity you have given up? I, well, I gave up a job at Microsoft once and, uh, it was right before I, um, got a call from PepsiCo, but, uh, Microsoft offered me a position um, heading up some of their packaging group. And I was living in the Midwest at the time and I didn't want to go West. I didn't go want to go up where it was raining. And my wife really wanted to come back to the East coast. And luckily that's when PepsiCo called and brought us back to the East coast. But it was, it was a big opportunity and I turned my nose up at it. But you, you didn't eventually have them as a client, right? In your career ahead. I had had them as a client before, actually. Oh. It was, oh. Yeah. So they knew me and they called me <laughs> up and said, we want you to come on, help us with packaging. And I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Microsoft already. Okay. That's lovely. Okay. Next question. If you wrote a book about yourself, what would you title it? This is a question for me. Yeah. I I would probably call it like the accidental designer. <laughs> because I didn't actually go into my career wanting to be a designer or actually even wanting to be a design or creative leader. Um, it the the web of my career and the different opportunities that I've had have brought me to this place, which you know I love and I'm so passionate about and I'm so grateful for um, all the experiences I've had and where it's brought me. But it was definitely not on purpose. It was kind of an accident, and that's one of those things that I try to impress upon the creative professionals that are in my community is that sometimes you just can't plan it out. 
that you just have to have a, an end kind of goal in mind, but then leverage the opportunities that come your way because you never know where they're going to take you. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. Uh, I would highly encourage you to write that book, The Accidental Designer. I think it's going to be super cool. And it's going to give people a very, very unique perspective as <laughs> you know, from, from you. <laughs> I think it's going to be super cool. Okay, again, next question awesome. for you. Next question for you again. Okay, if you could choose one philosophy to guide you for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think actually Peter Lewis could probably tell say this for me, but it's it's dare to suck. That's my <laughs> motto. My okay, motto you, is dare to suck. Could you explain that got, to me? Yeah, you... Every, and and everyone who's listening here who has been thinking about doing content but has not done any yet, generally the biggest fear that people have is that they are going to suck, that they are going to make a fool of themselves and very publicly and they'll hang their head in shame and everyone will think they're an idiot. And the thing is, is that everybody has to suck at the beginning. And my friend Roberto Blake, who's a big YouTuber, said that if you're not embarrassed in your first 50 videos and you're doing something wrong, you waited too long. And I firmly believe that. It's like you can't become an expert at something overnight. And if you wait to be an expert before you start, then you've waited too long and you're missing the boat. So you got to get out there and just kind of be bad. I mean, I look back at my first 15 or 20 videos and I just cringe. The lighting's bad. I'm nervous. I'm, it's just like, it's it's not pretty. And so, but I got out there and I did it and I built it video after video. And, you know, I've been on YouTube now for six and a half years. I've got 450 videos up there and it just comes from daring to suck. Absolutely. I love this motto. You know, it makes a lot of sense uh, because I kind of, it, it it reflects some of my struggle too, Philip, because when I started my podcast and, and guys, I would highly encourage you to, Look at my podcast, Brand Identity Design. Okay, look at the very first episode. There is about two to three minutes silence. And that continued on for many episodes ahead. I start the show, the recording is on, but you know, I, I just don't have enough confidence just to start, you know, just nervous as heck. And and I kept it exactly the same way. Even, even though I can go back and edit all of that, I kept it uh, to keep it as a reflection that sometimes when you start, you know, as you correctly said, you suck at it. And eventually as you progress, you become better. But you need to have the determination and, and, and you need to be consistent in doing it. That's how you, the goal should not be, I, I feel the goal should not be to reach perfectionism. I think the goal is to become excellence, right? To lead to that direction. That's what I feel. Would you agree with me, Philip? Or do you have another take? No, I totally agree. And I think one of the hard, let me tell you a quick little story, because I think that, you know, in particular, um, Thomas might be able to relate to this, which is that I had a 25 plus year career, big corporate, big agency, big business card, big titles, you know, big salary. And when I went off on my own, I was learning everything from scratch. So I was learning social media from scratch. I was learning content development from scratch. And you just have to, you have to try new things. And even, the hardest part for me was that I, I had this conception of my level of accomplishment and it was very difficult to go back and be a beginner and 
and have a chance of making a fool of myself. And that's really hard for mid-career people who are looking to redefine themselves or looking to build a personal brand, looking to become more visible in the digital sphere to um, build a brand for themselves. And it's very difficult for people to take the chance of, and feel like they might look less accomplished than they are. And so if everyone starts from zero when they start doing content, so just start. If you haven't started, just start. Absolutely, absolutely. Please start, try to do something, and I'm positive it's gonna take you places. You just have to give it time. So thank you so much for sharing that. Just, you know, I have one more question before we open up uh, the room for everyone else. Uh, to contribute if you like to go viral on youtube which i'm positive maybe some of your videos did go viral but if you had to do it again uh what kind of content you'd like to go viral for it's funny i i'm very i have gone viral um and that's probably the the video that muad saw which was my 2018 trend graphic design trends video was picked up by design taxi which is a you know giant um digital company and they put it on the front page of their website for a couple of days and I got you know I got like 80,000 views <laughs> oh, <laughs> or something shit. like that in in like a day and uh, it just blew me away and then it went up to in a period of two or three weeks I had 1.2 million views of this video it seriously went viral and my email list absolutely exploded and it was great. I have to say it was great. And I, you know, got 80,000 new subscribers. So it wasn't just the views. It was like actual subscribers to my channel, which was awesome. But the one thing I would say is that while that little bump of subscribers and that little blip of you know, 15 minutes of fame um, was fun and it made it validated what I was doing because I got you know thousands of really positive reviews of that video and comments on it. It it was really great, but it's fleeting and it's not, and I've been chasing that dragon <laughs> for years, and it's so it's really not all that it's cracked up, up to be. That it, so many brands and so many people are like dying to go viral, and it's you know while it's nice. It shouldn't be the end goal. What I, if I was to go viral again, I wish I would go viral for, for one of my more content-filled instructional videos. Like I did a, I did a live stream on how to, you know, up, upgrade your LinkedIn profile, and you know, I'd love to go viral for that because something like that could radically change hundreds of thousands of people's lives if they went and did that stuff on LinkedIn with their profiles. So while it's great to inspire people with trends, which was fabulous, and I love doing that every year, um, if I was to go viral again, I wish it would be something where people could actually take it and really put it into action for their own lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Philip. You know, that's such a lovely intention which you have there, Philip. You know, guys, if you're listening to this conversation, I actually want to support Philip and what he just mentioned. If you can send me, if you can DM me that specific link to that article or that video for the LinkedIn, I would be happy to put it on the show notes and let's see if, if people, we can push it and make this viral uh, so that more people can take advantage of it, Philip. All right. All right. So I want to actually go ahead and open up the space of, you know, which will be a common question for everyone. So tell us a moment when you felt 
uncontrollably happy again okay, i'll start with philip and then i'll go to peter uh, christine and then thomas so go ahead philip well uh, uncontrollably happy well i am it has nothing to do with business or branding but probably the the highest level of elation that i've had in my life was when i was scuba diving in the bahamas and on a shark feeding dive and um i love scuba diving i've been always been fascinated with sharks and being on you know 40 feet down kneeling on the sand in the bahamas and having 60 sharks schooling around you in a circle was absolutely thrilling and so and that was my uncontrollably happy moment <laughs> that's so lovely philip you know it scared the hell out of me <laughs> but but as long as it made you happy nothing like it okay you know that's really cool were those sharks really fed like you know you, they were not hungry or anything right no i mean it was a shark feeding dive so what they do very quickly they take a half of 55 gallon drum they pack it full of fish and trails and stuff and they freeze it and then they dangle it just above the surface of the, of the sand and sharks come in and feed off of it and so while sh- they they are feeding off of this giant chum sickle as they call it as long as sharks have a food source that they can go for you're just like another shark so you're basically swimming around with them while they're going in rapidly attacking this frozen chum sickle and eating so it's an incredibly thrilling experience but you're not in danger because they've got something to eat other than you <laughs> <laughs> lovely you know that's really lovely chum sickles you know that's a really funny thing but you know i appreciate you sharing that okay let's actually go with uh, go to f- Uh, to peter so peter uh, you know please unmute your mic would you like me to re- you know reask you the same question or have you heard it oh i missed the question sorry i was that's I'm okay. trying to multitask and doing a couple things at no once no problem no problem tell us a moment when you felt uncontrollably happy oh my goodness well the birth of my two kids for one thing so that's two moments but um um jeez No, that's okay. When um, I live in the mountains of Maine and when I'm not trying, uh, putting all my energy into, into trying to make my little freelance business to succeed, I spend a lot of time in, in the mountains trail running. And I tell you what, getting to the top of some bald peak in Western Maine and looking out over nothing but wilderness that I, I, my feet don't even touch the ground. I'm so happy when I do that. So, uh, Unfortunately, um being so cold this time of year, it's not going to happen that much till spring, but being at, being away from the office and out in the wilderness running up mountains is just the best thing ever. Lovely, you know, wilderness, you know, who does not like mountains? Me too. Thank you Peter for that lovely share. I want to go to Christine. Christine, would you like me to re-ask you the question or have you heard it? Oh no, I've been uh contemplating my answer since you <laughs> asked uh Mr. Van Dusen there. Um my father asked me this very same question once and um uh or actually the way he asked me was uh Christine, do you think you've ever been happy in your life? And it was right after um I got out of a behavioral health hospital. I'm also an advocate by the way for a major depressive disorder and anxiety. Um 
So I do have to say that's something I, I work on all the time. Um, the word happy and what it really means. So I'm not an unhappy person, I would say. Um, but happiness to me is I, I look for something that keeps me content. Contentment is huge. Um, I've always been somewhat, and I think a lot of people in this, you know, room would uh, feel possibly uh, somewhat the same. Uh, you know, people that are aiming for, as you said, not perfection, but excellence, we're actually looking for perfection. Um, so you accomplish something and maybe it doesn't feel quite good enough. You want to do something better. So uh, that's kind of uh, how it's been. But uh, I don't want to get philosophical. So I have four children myself and, of course, um, elated um, that they were born healthy and I love them um, to no end. But I will say when it comes to a feeling that is indescribable aside from having my children um, and not to copy you, um, uh, Peter, but I'm also a runner. Um, well, I was um, a four marathon a year on average runner distance, not speed. Um, and I've never done a drug, illegal drug in my life. Uh, the runner's high is real. And I will say that when the first time I felt that, um, I don't want to say anything inappropriate on this, um, either, but it's better than anything I've ever felt in my life. It's like, you know, you, 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 feel like you can run forever. You feel like you can fly. It really is a truly real feeling. And I would love to say that like Peter, when he got to his end goal of, of, you know, accomplishing uh, that huge feat he did at one point, I was given an opportunity to uh, be flown to Arizona and run what was then the toughest road race known to man and it's the Mount Lemon Marathon it's no longer the toughest but I ran it in honor of a friend of mine who had just passed of lupus um, Annie Luisa Alfonte and um, she was 24 when she passed I went and ran that marathon for her um, well in her honor and it was a wonderful experience, although I did not feel the runner's high running 8,000 feet up, but I did finish it. I'm a four and a half hour marathoner. I ran that marathon in seven and a half hours and I did finish and I didn't feel the runner's high, but I did feel happy, honestly happy, verifiably happy that I finished that race and that I carried her with me all the way up in a picture that I had pinned to the back of my shirt, um, which uh, weirdly fell off at the finish line, um, fell off of my shirt and was bloody and sweaty. And But her picture was shining bright. Um, and uh, I, I, I got the medal and that, that was it. That was the moment 
that I felt happy. <laughs> that is super cool, Christine. I appreciate you giving us that backstory and and helping us understand why running is something which you're closely associated to and and why it brings happiness. So we have scuba diving for Philip, we have the wilderness <laughs> for Peter and we have running for Christine. I want to actually hear from Thomas. So Thomas, you know, would you go ahead, go ahead. I'm sure you may have heard my question. Sure. Yeah, I've been listening. Um, look, it's it's not a it's not a scuba diving, it's not a it's not a running and it's not a wilderness, but it relates to uh, I think I mentioned previously, Jason, I'm a bit of a golf nut. Uh, yeah. Not a great golfer. <laughs> not a great golfer, but a but a but a golfer that knows that perfection is not very uh, easy to become by but on the uh, on the on the theme of the shark um, the shark Norman uh, is a golfer who uh, who I who I have met a few times but the the happiest is two things related to golf the first thing is when I got my second hole in one in two thousand and nineteen just before COVID um, and the second happy moment was i have a particular obsession i guess about connecting with interesting people i also have a, a bit of an obsession about rock and roll and i also have, have, have an obsession about golf so i combined all three of uh, those obsessions rock and roll golf and connecting with interesting people and organized the game of golf with um, Alice Cooper, who is a rock and roller who is obsessed with golf. And he, um, he's he got a well-known story that he um, replaced his addiction to alcohol with an addiction to golf. So when he was down under, which he comes every couple of years to Australia and New Zealand, he, 13 years ago, managed to negotiate a golf game at my club in Melbourne and uh, it was very enjoyable. He's a very funny bloke. Um, he cracked me up on numerous occasions. He just said these really funny jokes and one joke he said was so funny that I, a bit like um, Christine, I can't mention it on air, but I was very happy after that round and obviously I went and to the concert, you know, that evening and went backstage and yeah, just had a really happy, <laughs> happy time. And, and uh, that's, that's my story. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have scuba diving, wilderness, running, golfing, rock and roll and networking. So thank you so much, uh, guys. You know, let's actually give Philip the opportunity to Tell us a bit more about his business, you know, what kind of new offers you have, events, promotions, speaking engagements. What would you like to speak on my show, Philip? Sure. Thanks, Jason, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with everybody today. And thanks to everyone for hanging out with us. It's been awesome. Um, well, my website, philipvandusen.com, is kind of the hub for everything that I do. Um, most of my content is on YouTube and that's under my name, Philip Van Dusen. So like and subscribe. 
and uh, turn on notifications because I do go live. And uh, if you have notifications on, you can get a heads up when I'm about to to go live and then come out, hang, hang out there with me, which Peter does often, which is awesome. Um, if you are interested in personal brand development, I have a free offer uh, for you guys. You can download this. It's called, a, it's a tool that I developed called the personal brand wheel. And what it is, is it's a tool that makes it very easy to kind of visualize where you are um, progressing and where you need work on developing your personal brand. And so if you go to philipvandusen.com slash PBW, the letters PBW for personal brand wheel, you can download that tool. And, uh, and if there's any creative, aspiring creative professionals here who would like to learn a bit more about brand strategy, I offer an on-demand video call, course called Brand Strategy 101. Um, and that's available at philipvandusen.com slash BS101. And that's it. Thanks, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. So PBW and BS101. Philip, if you don't mind sending me the links, I would have it on the show notes uh, so that people can take advantage of it. If you're following the event page, once the show gets uploaded, I, I normally go ahead and post all the links so that you can backtrack and see some of those stuff. So I think we have three things which we want to do for Philip. The first thing is to make his LinkedIn content video viral. The second is, uh, you know, promote uh, the PBW and BS 101. BS101 is for the brand strategy and the PBW is the personal brand wheel. Okay, so uh, all these links would be available shortly, guys. Please uh, reach out to Philip. He's a true professional. He really knows what he's trying to do and he has tons and tons of experience to support it. I would also highly encourage you to look at some of his work uh, on his portfolio, which is also listed on on his website. I stumbled upon the most recent project which he did, and I, I've also highlighted this to Philip, the one for the Alex Theater. It's a really, really cool uh, project. I like the typography and his styling, his layout. I highly encourage you to just have a look. And in fact, you know, if you think his expertise makes sense, uh, feel free to hire him and take advantage of his knowledge. So on that note, uh, I want to quickly give you a heads up on next week's show. So my show is broadcasted, just in case if you're new, live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And next week, uh, we would be speaking about giving yourself grace as an entrepreneur with Rebecca Nunes. Okay, she has an award-winning agency, not only in Mexico, but also in California. And Rebecca will speak on uh, why as entrepreneurs, you, you need to give yourself grace because you live in a degree of success and failures. And sometimes most of, most of the plans which you make may not really go according to plan. Uh, you would lose clients, incur financial losses, downsize your business even lay off employees and and all those bad things can happen and all of this is okay and it's okay to let go of the regret anchor and take one day at a time so rebecca which actually shared some of her personal experiences on how she was able to deal with this so i would highly encourage you to participate next week uh, you should be able to find this link 
to this event on my bio on the featured profile section or else if you, if you are interested in just getting uh, notified just dm me i'll be happy to send you the link uh, the second thing which i want to let you know is that i have an exclusive guest on january the 4th of 2023 i'm going to be interviewing the former ceo of hasbro interactive and he's going to be speaking about the business of games i've been trying to reach out to him for a really long time and he finally agreed to be on my show so consistency and persistence really help guys if you want to chase something if you want to achieve something be consistent be humble and 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 try again and again at some point it's going to work out so that's pretty much it uh, do you have any final remarks or any any one takeaway you want people uh, to get from this conversation today philip yeah i wouldn't say that you own you that everyone you know it's very easy to start to identify with who your employer is and have that become part of your personal identity but when it comes right down to it employers come and go and you own you so start investing in yourself and your own independence and if you need help doing that i do professional coaching so reach out to me and we'll get it together for you absolutely absolutely on that note i wanted to thank each and every one who has joined the stage and also listening to us take care of yourself have a lovely morning afternoon evening wherever you are in the world thank you